0: You have 40ish years to build a career. There's no rush, especially early in your career. It feels like it's progressing and moving so quickly, and then you get to like middle management almost, and then it takes two to three years to get to the next level and you feel like you're stagnant. Sit in that time. You just worked really hard to get there. Just chill for a sec.
1: Welcome to GTM Gals, a TAC Network original created in partnership with Share Your Genius. I'm your host, Danny Howe, and I'm bringing you with me into my conversations with some of B2B Tech's best and brightest women as they share their insights on growing both personally and professionally in this ever changing industry. So grab your coffee or wine and let's dive in. Hey everyone, I'm Danny, and this is the very first episode of GTM Gals. So I'm super, super excited. And I had to pick one of the best guests um, on the show. So. Today we have uh, Sarah Pion, so she is the head of web experience marketing at Dandy, and she's a badass marketer with over seven plus years of experience in some of the leading SaaS companies in the world. So I don't know if you guys know, you know, back in 2018, 2019, uh, there was the term conversational marketing back at Drift. It was like the hottest thing. So that's where Sarah started her career in B2B marketing. And it's during their heydays. And she dove deep into brand, customer marketing, and growth roles at Alice, Voiceflow, and now Daddy. So you've really done the whole shebang in marketing, which is really exciting for me to hear. And she's also a podcaster herself. So she hosts a show called Self Control and Cheese, where she talks openly around self development and growth. So, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. And we're so excited to have you here. Thank you
0: for having me. That was such, such a nice bio.
1: Yeah, of course. I wanted to make sure that I do you justice. I mean, like you've done so many roles in your career, right? Because I've noticed that there's a lot of GTM gals, a lot of marketers out there that they do a little bit of this, a little bit of that until they kind of found their own path. So I'm curious on on your story around that. How did you end up in web?
0: Yeah, I started my career not in marketing. Uh, Mm -hmm. At Drift, I started as a technical support person, the first one that they had full time. So I was supporting marketers on how to use the Drift product. I was the first hire in that arena. So they didn't have a customer support team. Rather, I sat on a team of engineers and a product manager. So I was introduced to the world of like B2B SaaS kind of through the lens of like product and engineering rather than marketing and sales, which kind of gave me a little bit of a different Introduction to the world of marketing as well. Drift was a Martech platform. So I was supporting the people I wanted to be uh, with a tool that I knew really well. So that's kind of how I got introduced to marketing. Within nine months at Drift, I was moved on to the marketing team to run Drift for Drift. It was very meta. And that came with not only being a software administrator, but being a voice and a persona to be the number one customer of this product that didn't yet have like power users because I came to Drift when it was uh, on the earlier side of things. So kind of once it became more of a tool in people's tech stacks, they wanted to know how to use it, what were best practices. And we didn't have that until we had someone internally who could be that person. And throughout my time at Drift, I still worked really closely with engineers. I kind of bounced around from marketing to the growth team. Uh, and when I was on the growth team at Drift, I was still the only marketer. I was on a team of two backend engineers, a front end engineer and a product marketer. And that was our growth team. So I liked the technical part of things. I like to say that I can speak the language, but I can't read and write almost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so What I like about web is that there are different ways to build and contribute to websites. You can kind of be super brand and content focused and write content, distribute content, all of that. Or you could build infrastructure and make sure that you're scaling websites in a way that grows with a company. I like to do both. And so I got really lucky being able to understand and experience left brain and right brain marketing. Um, and I like to have a balance of both. So that's kind of why I like web uh, is because I can talk to our web dev and talk about, can we update our schema markup? Can we make sure to do XYZ thing? And then I can also go and talk to our head of editorial and be like, let's write about this or let's create a campaign around XYZ thing. So it it scratches an itch on both sides.
1: I love that. I feel like a lot of marketers, they either take one path or the other. Mm -hmm. But I feel like since you started off as someone from like the customer side of things, you really understood like the voice of the customer, but it almost seemed like you were like an evangelist within the company too. And then use your your skills as like the meta user to be able to amplify that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And it's easier when your customer is yourself coming from Drift and Alice and and also Voiceflow, like the persona that we were selling to was a marketer or, you know, like a conversation designer on the voice flow side of things. Uh, And it makes it easy to be an advocate because you know what you want and you know your like struggles at work and it makes it easier to get into the roadmap of an engineer. Uh, And it's usually pretty hard to get what you want onto a roadmap Uh, and being able to convince engineers to do what you want to do is also very much a skill that is hard to learn if you're not taught it quickly.
1: I would love to get into that, actually, because talking to technical people, I feel like that's something that you don't really learn unless you, you know, you get exposed to it. Um, But I want to get into some of your hot takes and like the biggest traps that companies usually um, fall into when it comes to the website, because I'm sure you've seen a lot of like questionable websites back in your heydays. And I've definitely seen my share, you know, especially because I used to work at Mutiny. We did like web conversion. Um, right. We've seen some some shit. So just curious. <laughs> what have you seen? Um, and what are some of the biggest traps that companies take when it comes to websites? I mean, it can go from like technical
0: to structurally or like copy wise from like a technical perspective. I hate websites that don't have a trailing slash at the end of their links. Like I just hate it. It looks unfinished to me. There, you don't get any SEO benefit. You go, you don't get any technical benefit. It's purely just like a why not? Can you please just add that last slash, please, please? Um, and then for like UTM parameters and stuff, it can really mess things up. So like, just add a trailing slash to your links, please. I think right now, some of the biggest traps that like newer companies fall into is not prioritizing a content motion. John Benini just wrote a newsletter about this that like the big brands in like 2017 2018 2019 were content focused brands first they did not immediately go to market and try and do direct response request a demo type marketing they were trying to make sure that everyone understood their narrative and like what is the what is their enemy what do they hate and that's not necessarily a competitor it's the status quo and what is that status quo and how do you then change that with the product or service. Companies right now fall into a trap of not prioritizing narrative. And then their website is just a collection of pages that don't talk about each other and do not flow into each other and mostly focus on the company. It's very like, I, 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 we, I, we, 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 versus here is the problem that we solve. And I think a very good example of this is the AI industry. Um, mm. Saying that something has AI is not a compelling value prop. Think of Mic something drop. else. <laughs> Like, what do you actually do? So that's, you know, a great example. And even some companies that I advise on the earlier side, they're just trying to get into content now and they feel like they have to catch up. And when you feel like that, you're gonna produce shitty content because you're gonna try and chat GBT it. You're not gonna include any sort of proprietary first-party data or information that makes your content unique and different. You're just trying to even the playing field and eventually you're just writing for search engines you're not actually writing for your customers because it's easy to build a product and try and sell it versus trying to understand like the full industry figure out your story hone that story and tell that story in a few different ways because Dang. you can tell
1: <laughs> let's just back up a little bit here cuz i totally feel like the ai side of things i feel like especially as chatgpt became a thing This year, like some of the companies that you wouldn't expect to have AI, quote unquote, they started to plug that keyword in there. And yeah, I don't know. It's it's questionable for sure.
0: People who sell to marketers, so like MarTech specifically, Mm -hmm. often forget that your differentiator is price and brand because anyone could build your product and they will. And most MarTech is not a primary piece of technology that a marketer is always going to buy at this point. They're tertiary pieces of MarTech that you use with leftover budget. So Mm -hmm. like in order to stand out, you need to have a strong story because someone else can build your features and the world of MarTech is becoming very like commoditized Um, and everything is the same. And the only way to stand out is to have affinity towards yourself and your brand. And the way that you do that is by telling your story in different mediums and different content through your sales reps, through your webinars, through your eBooks, through your whatever, but also through your website.
1: I love that. And I think it's especially relevant now because, you know, the space is becoming more and more competitive and people's budgets are like shrinking. So it's like, what tools do you actually have like in your Mm -hmm. tech stack? What budget do you actually even have to buy new things? Right. And it may be that I feel affinity towards a brand and only like two years down the line am I able to actually pull that trigger. But in able to capture someone's attention, like you have to be able to do it constantly. It's not just like, oh, we did like this one campaign that was cool. You got to like keep at it.
0: (laughs) I think... Martech specifically also just staying within that realm. A lot of people try are trying to reinvent the wheel so that they can sell their product. And it worked in 2017 and 2012 with like the HubSpots and the Drifts and the like six senses of the world. But now it's mm-hmm. like there are only so many ways that you can grow as a company. So let's not create 17 different X-led growth strategies. The fundamentals of marketing exist for a reason because mm-hmm. They are fundamental. So instead of, you know, listening to the loudest person screaming about, you know, what marketers need to focus on right now, I would urge anyone who's getting into marketing currently and marketing, taking on leadership in marketing to think first about what is your narrative, what is your positioning, what is your website foundation, and like what is your pitch.
1: Mm. I love Be-
0: that. Before you do anything crazy.
1: I'm just going to take a pause there and let the audience uh, settle in on that. Cause I feel like uh, there's a lot of things that we've seen so far this year where companies are trying all the things to try to capture someone's attention. But what Sarah's saying here, I think it's key. It's focusing on who are you selling to? What is actually the problem? And what's the narrative that you know, your product or brand is trying to solve? So I love that.
0: I think it's very obvious in Martech who's done that work and who hasn't. What's interesting about the space that I'm in right now is, It is like Martech in 2010. Like it is very blue ocean and you can sort of define those things. And my company, we've existed for three, four years, and we're just doing our positioning and narrative work now. And it's obvious in our marketing team that this is going to be so helpful because we've always worked on our own projects and that puts your marketing team into silos. And the minute you grow you're not going to be cohesive across any of your channels then. And so, even outside of martech, this these fundamentals are important for it's for any company. It's not just for the martech, the e-commerce stores, the whoever's, it's if you are a business selling to
1: people, why should they care? So, I you know you've like worked at smaller companies, you've worked at like pretty big companies and also companies that went through like explosive growth. So I'm curious on identifying like which companies to join or what are the entry and exit points or the triggers that you see uh, for yourself as a a marketer? Because I know like some marketers right now, they are going through career transitions, whether in their control or not within their control. So like, what are some of the red flags that you kind of look for and the green flags?
0: Well, we can start with red flags and then we can Mm -hmm. end with green flags. So it's like, we end happy. Yes. (laughs) Part of what I've noticed being sort of the downfall of companies, and this can be a red flag, is the CEO or the founders or whoever sort of in charge have a skewed view of how their customers view the importance of their product. Mm. Every CEO wants to build a primary product and not a tertiary product. That's not going to be the case 100% of the time. And if you have a CEO who believes that their product is a primary product when really it's a tertiary product, that's going to come out in pricing and packaging. That's going to come out in your close rate. That's going to come out in your retention rate for your customers. Uh, It's going to shift the entire strategy of the company that does not suit the customers. And so that's harder sometimes to gauge in like an interview process, because you don't know the market super well if this is a potentially new market for you. Uh, but trying to do your research and figure out, you know, how does this tool fit into the day to day of the customer, and then asking questions around pricing and packaging. I've worked for a CEO who never agreed with positioning, never agreed with pricing and packaging, never agreed with retention strategies and how we save customers because. They viewed the importance of the product differently than the market did. And that Mm -hmm. inevitably is going to fall one on marketing. Marketing always gets the blame and you're never going to be able to win. I think similarly, companies who don't have any insight into their financials, in the interview process, I always ask about runway. I always ask about close rate. I always ask about churn rate. I always ask about retention. And whether you're a post-Series A company, a pre-Series A company, a Series D company, public, you should have some level of insight into that. Mm. Because otherwise, if you're churning customers at 9%, that's a bit of a red flag. Uh, What are you doing to offset that? What are you doing to focus on that? If you have a runway of six months and you're trying to fundraise in 2023 into 2024 in a weird macro economy where money is no longer free, I'm a little bit worried about the future post six months of this company. And if they're hiring you to come in and fix that, that is far too much pressure Mm -hmm. for one employee, regardless of level, to to focus on. Similar red flags is the way that you're treated in the interview process is the way that you'll be treated and a little bit less as an employee. Uh, If you're ghosted, if you're kept waiting for two weeks, if they make you jump through hoops, you can assume that you're not going to have the best employee engagement process within the, the company. In terms of green flags, it's basically the antithesis of all of those. So it's like, we have cash in the bank for two years. We have, like, here's the insight into our financials. Do you want to talk to a customer? Do you want to talk to an internal employee to learn more about what it's like day to day and how these are handled? I think green flags also that alignment between customer perception and leadership perception and also trying to gauge product market fit. Like how quickly did you grow without this person? What did you do? And why are you hiring this person now? And having the answer being like, well, we want to gear up for this thing. And we want this person to be able to build from the ground up, especially in a startup environment. That's being brought in before the problems arise. (laughs) But knowing that those problems, anticipating those problems and making sure to hire before them. I will say there are more bad companies than good poorly run companies and there are well-run companies. And it's all about the problems that you're willing to solve and the problems that you are not willing to handle within the workplace. There are no perfect companies, but it depends on how. what are the problems? Are they put on you? Can you sort of be shielded from them? How well does your manager do shielding you from the bullshit?
1: I love these. And I think there are a lot of things that people don't usually think about when they join a company. Like Some questions are, like, obvious, how's your current KPIs? Like, how's your pipeline going on? Um, How's your conversion rate? You know, those kind of things as a marketer, like, in your day-to-day that you care about. But then I feel like in the larger scheme of things, sometimes people don't go the extra mile to really understand, hey, what are the customers actually talking about um, the company? And what are some of the reviews like before even joining? So I, I love these because I feel like even for myself, like, in my early days, I... Just join a company when I felt like the product was something that, that had a lot of potential or the team. Right. Yeah. And, you know, you don't realize things until you're already in there that you're like, oh, I don't know if these are problems that I could even solve. Yeah.
0: There are sometimes mm-hmm. company problems, especially in early stage startups, that are put on the employees of like, well, if you want to fix this, we all have to work together mm. when they are fundamentally founder problems. And that is, for me, not problems I'm willing to solve. I am staunchly an employee. I, I am not a founder for a reason. I do not want to have that responsibility. That's on you. You chose this path, not me. I am entrepreneurial in the sense of happy to build something within
1: the confines of a company. I have no interest in building my own, you know. <laughs> and I think that's something like that takes a lot of self-awareness too, right? Like some folks they want to like be able to climb the ranks to become like a CMO eventually one day. And some people, they want to become a superstar, I see. So I'm curious, like, what's kind of your take on that?
0: I want to run things. That is Mm -hmm. my, like, career aspirations, whether that's within CMO or if it's a VP of digital. Like, I'm not picky in that sense. I've gotten to that point in my career where I've executed strategies on behalf of others that I disagree with and now want to... Be the leader that people disagree with and learn how to figure out their stuff on their own the way that they want to do it. I think that if you have people in your team who want to be a high-level IC, you still need to make that path available yeah. to them. But it's career pathing is such a give and take because it is specifically on the leaders, the managers to create those career paths, but they won't know what you want unless you tell them and communicate that. So if I were to go to my manager and say, I have absolutely no intention of being a people manager. But there is a business need for a high-level IC within the next few years. Make me a career path for that. Like That's more helpful than I want to run things. Make it so.
1: A hundred percent. So let it, let's end it off with something cool that you're working on and that you're super proud of this year. So I run Web Experience at a company called Dandy. We are a
0: dental mm-hmm. lab. We sell to dentists, but we also have a team of engineers who are bridging the gap between digital dentistry technology and submitting lab orders and getting you know, your lab orders back. It's a very interesting industry. I'm still working on figuring out what dentists want and how they're motivated. But we grew with a static website that had four pages this time last year. We were generating about 15,000 monthly organic sessions and our website was incredibly unflexible. I was doing a lot of campaign support and people would want pages built that I fundamentally could not build for them. Uh, We went through a rebrand. We took on a new web dev agency and we have surpassed 30,000 organic sessions and have broken our organic traffic rate every month for the last quarter. And I'm super, super excited about that. I think that's freaking awesome. And I love to be able to build something from zero to 100 and then you know, 100 to 500. What I'm excited about for next year is building integrated digital experiences. So not just focusing on organic, uh, but we wanted to build that foundation this year so that we had quote unquote free traffic that was consistently coming to our website, but now bridging the gap between our paid social campaigns and our paid search campaigns and our content syndication campaigns and our media campaigns and making sure that everyone who comes through the website gets a really contextual experience so that it's sort of the rising tide that lifts all boats. Uh, We have more branded traffic. We have higher click through rates from Google. People recognize our name and building that I'm really excited about because they kind of handed the reins over to me and let me do that. Whereas Oftentimes, that can sometimes come with a lot of silos, a lot of people who don't want to give away the control over their channels. I'm excited to build the best practice engine for digital experiences for a non tech native audience.
1: That is amazing, Sarah. Also, that's like a 2x increase. Like, that's fucking crazy. Cause I feel like that's the hardest part, you know, like getting the first, like, I would say, like 50K ish organic visitors. Some people can do it even without a team, but then getting to that next level that's very hellish hellishly hard
0: (laughs) yeah and there's because we're sort of the drivers of the industry we don't have any role models so we're Mm -hmm. just kind of figuring it out the way that's best for us which forces us to focus on creating extraordinary customer experiences because that's all we can reference because our competitors are just copying what we're doing.
1: Well, thank you so much today for uh, joining me on GTM Gal Sarah. Um, so one, my last question for you is what's one piece of advice you would give to your fellow GTM Gals?
0: You have 40-ish years to build a career. There's no rush, especially early in your career. It feels like it's progressing and moving so quickly. And then you get to like middle management almost. And then it takes two to three years to get to the next level. And you feel like you're stagnant. Sit in that time. You just worked really hard to get there. Just like chill for a sec. You have another 30, 20 even years to get to where you want to be when you become that sort of middle management type level, which means you have nothing but time and you don't have to give 110% every day. Try 85 because your 85 is probably someone else's 110, let's be real, especially if you're listening to this podcast.
1: There we go. Thank you so much again, Sarah. I'm super excited to hear about um, next year, how it goes for you, um, rooting for you. And also, if you want to connect with Sarah, I'm going to drop her LinkedIn in the show notes below. So feel free to do so. But once again, thank you so much, Sarah. This was so much fun. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me on this episode of GTM Gals. For the latest episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform. And you can connect with me on LinkedIn, Shu, or on my website. All of this is linked in the show notes. See you next time. This show is a TAC Network original production created in partnership with Share Your Genius.